When you use the word brilliant to describe someone, I'm wondering what comes to mind. Is it elusive? Is it talent? Is it just plain luck? In this episode, we unpack what does it mean to be brilliant. I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to unpacking what does it take to live boldly amongst the busyness, the mess and the uncertainty of our world. As a psychologist, I love asking people questions and sharing their stories. My guest today grew up in Yorkshire in the north of England into a traditional farming family. Even from an early age, she questioned the world that she was in and sought to explore new horizons. Janine Gardner has certainly trod her own path with a career that has taken her around the world in marketing and strategy to now in her own practice consulting with leading brands. The thread throughout all her work is her ability to connect with key people to network and to collaborate. It is absolutely her special source. Janine is a best-selling author and her latest book, Be Brilliant, is a call to arms. Using what she has learned from interviewing the best of the best in her own podcast series, Unleashing Brilliance, she maps a path for all of us through her four laws of brilliance. No matter what your chosen field is, you too can be brilliant. And we're going to talk about what that means, but also the reality of the tension of sitting in the unknown and how we can face that as well. And the truth is that the people around you demand the best from you. So why not explore how you can live into that? This book is timely and the author is absolutely genuine. I love this conversation and I hope you will as well. So please enjoy the conversation with a passionate soul, Janine Gardner. Janine, welcome. It's great to be sitting down with you. Oh, you too. There's nothing better than having a fabulous opportunity to chat about all things fabulous with you, Alison. It's so always so great to sit down with you. Oh, there's so much for us to um, to sit down and talk to. And there will come a time where the borders will open and we'll be able to do this face-to-face. But for now, this is the next best With thing. a glass of wine. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Now, Janine, I want to ta- start by taking you back a little bit. You were born in Yorkshire, which is in the north of England, to a farming family. What was it like growing up on a poultry farm? <laughs> Very simple existence, uh, an incredibly traditional chauvinistic upbringing. Uh, if I take it back even further, Alison, the, the generation before were miners. So I come from a mining community, which then became farming. So a community that, you know, council housing, miners. I grew up during the Thatcher years with miner strikes. And if you've ever watched Billy Elliot, but that was pretty much the world. And I can still remember as a kid that the power going off and my mum coming out with a fork and some bread on it. And we had to sit in front of the fire and toast it. And that was dinner for that night. Um, so I can still remember all of that. And I grew up very much in a traditional sort of gender split environment where, you know, the men went and worked on the farm. Uh, the women stayed in the kitchen. Um, and that pretty much then filtered down into um, sort of my childhood. I can remember you know, one Christmas, my grandmother buying me a nurse's. I was the only girl in the family too. So I got the nurse's outfit and my brother and cousins got the toy 
machine guns, totally politically incorrect now, but I was not allowed to go and play. I had to sit under the stairs and wait for the injured soldiers to come back. And so <laughs> there's a reason I do the work I do, I think. Um, you know, it was, a, it was pretty basic. I can absolutely drive a tractor. I can shear a sheep. I was trying to explain to my 12-year-old the incredible feeling when you get eggs fresh out of the chickens last night um, and grew up really with a, a mother that absolutely told me I could be whatever I wanted to be. But then in the same breath, she was incredibly uh, just pissed off about the fact that she'd given up all her dreams for my dad and the farm. And then my dad, his, you know, his words of wisdom were pretty much where there's muck, there's brass love and you make your bed, you lie in it. I, you know, this is what you have to do. You have to work hard and you get. And I, for some reason, I can't remember where it ever came from, but I was always questioning that. I always just had this desire to, to explore more. Um, and you know, I don't think I ever really fitted in. I really don't. I look back at my childhood and I go, I was always questioning. I was always challenging. Um, you know, I was I was the studious kid at school that got teased and bullied in the playground for having brown hair, a whole heap of freckles and no boobs during, pu- pu- during puberty. Kids are so and, nice, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I know, it was awful. I can remember the moments. And then I think I, I just escaped because... Was that you know, always the, on the cards? It, it was. was it? I think it was always on the cards. I pretty much left home at eighteen, um, and my escape route was uni. Um, now my family couldn't afford to send me there, um, so I had to apply to the government. Um, and at the time, the government were offering uh, full uh, fee paying and grants to be able to go, and I was one of the lucky ones, essentially, that managed to get my escape card and I packed my backpack and went to Birmingham uh, to study at Aston University. I did a Bachelor of Science degree and that's pretty much my escape route. I never went home. Um, I studied at uni for four years. I then packed the backpack and moved to London um, and lived there for eight, nine years and started my career there. And then I packed the backpack again um, and ran away to Australia and arrived here in 2000 with no job and no belongings. I literally just had my passport, my visa, uh, and a boyfriend and the backpack and rebuilt my life at the, <laughs> from the age of, I think, 30. Um, so I've just gradually moved further and further south. <laughs> Little did your parents know. What uh, what was that like when you said to them, hey, I'm going to be going to uni or that that application for a grant? Because I'm, as you say, it sounds like they wouldn't have had the money for it so it may not have been on the cards in terms of their plan for you. What was that like? Do you know what? I think I think my dad would have been very, very happy if... I'd stayed in Yorkshire, in the village, and married the bank manager. And in fact, my dad has never, ever left the hometown. He's still there. Um, I don't think he got it. He didn't understand it. Um, And a bit like looking back now, you know, age is a wonderful thing to get perspective on your life and where you've learned stuff. And where I felt like a square peg in a round hole as a child he felt like a square peg in a round hole as I was growing up 
because he didn't know how to deal with me. He had, he, he didn't know how to manage uh, this daughter that had an opinion that was challenging, um, that would break the rules. Um, you know, there's, there's definite consistency through my life of being a bit of a rule breaker in my own way. Uh, and he just had no idea how to raise a daughter because he'd never seen it. You know, all the women that were around him were pretty passive um, in terms of behavior. I'm sure not in terms of their dreams, but definitely in terms of their behavior of, of looking after families. So dad and I had a very tumultuous relationship. Um, I pretty much, our relationship broke down when I went to uni Um and, you know, there have been 10 years go by where we don't actually connect. The day I left for Australia, he actually said to me, oh, that'll be it then, love. See you later. <laughs> that was a lie. So, so we've had, but I've learned over the years um, that actually his perspective was one of I was challenging his expectation and he didn't know, he had no reference to cope with it and he was happy with his lot. And I've learned to accept that mm. about him. Uh, I think my about- mom, um, you know, that she's told me it was the hardest thing to let me go, um, but she had to. And I think if she had been of my generation, she'd have probably done the same. Um And our relationship is equally as challenged because, you know, as a child, I was constantly challenging. Why are you doing this? Like, I can still remember I never played with my mom. She was always in the kitchen cleaning or cooking. If you saw my house right now, Alison, you'd understand how I'm totally challenging, you know, this perception of motherhood. I'm totally there with you. (laughs) It's the last thing I want to do because I grew up with a mom that, that pretty much did cook and clean and that was it. I remember the... We call them hoovers in England. They're vacuum cleaner coming out every single day, multiple times of the day. That's, that's my lasting memory. And I never played. Um, and I think what happened is this gap got bigger and bigger in terms of my belief system about what it meant to be a girl, a teenager, a woman, and the future and what she was living in. You know, we really struggled through the years in terms of connecting. And again, at the age of almost 50, uh, now starting to get some perspective on her value system and what she lost and what she's done, we're starting to sort of come back together. But it's it's been an absolute, if, you know, I talk about it a bit in the book, this, this constant for me, what it did for me is it created this need to strive to prove, to strive to prove, to strive to prove, and this never-ending cycle right from 18 to probably, um, I would actually say even, you know, 40, there are 20 years of striving, proving, striving, proving, which showed itself in terms of my corporate work. Um, And the trajectory I managed to take that in terms of where I took that corporate career to then the striving, proving, striving, proving when I set up my own business um, to only, I reckon, in the last sort of, eight years really falling back in love with myself and uh, going, you know what, I've got, I've got nothing to prove. Um, and getting into this place of flow has been a massive sort of, and, conti- and will continue to be a whole journey. And I look back, in all honesty, and I go, you know, we can't regret stuff because that childhood and that need to survive. So I have to say to people, I'm a survivor. 
you know, I never had any support financially or emotionally. And so when the shit hit the fan or when I got into trouble, I had to get myself out of it. And so the plus side is that I'm a survivor. Um, I actually, and I know how to look after myself. The negative is that I've had to learn to ask for help. Um, I've had to learn to be more vulnerable. Um, and I've had to learn to open up to people um, because, you know, every, every plus has its negative. And, and, and it's all that awareness that has, has, that is really where I'm at now. And I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Um, and interestingly, somebody somebody was asking me the same question the other day. Uh, you might have heard her, Maz, Maz Farley. Um, she was going, tell me more about you. And she just said these words to me. She said, Janine, I think your work, your genius, is you've become the person that you wish you'd had. And I went, oh, my gosh, you are so right. Because my work and everything that? I do now is all about helping other people become mm. awesome. Um, and it's something that I never had. Yeah, that's really powerful. That must have been really powerful on reflection to go, oh, you know, and as you say, it's still a, a, um, a work in progress and plenty yeah. to learn and, and grow. Um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting and I, I love you um, kind of sharing and describing that, you know, striving for success and uh, kind of ever ever-present pursuit, um, it can have its upsides as well It can because it's the thing that keeps you going. It's the thing that pushes you through. It's the thing when you get knocked back so you keep um, kind of getting to that next level. You describe in the book in your kind of corporate world just before you went into your own business of on the outside having having it all, like it, you know, ticking, ticking all the boxes but that the experience was actually one of um bullying and mm. um you know pretty toxic kind of environments what was it like to be in a space like that where you are essentially out of alignment with your values it was one of the uh, i still look at it and and just go i don't know how i got through it to be honest because i was um i was a senior female in the business being bullied by a female and this female was actually somebody that I had previously had a whole heap of respect for um, in terms of her life was similar to mine you know three kids um, trying to work full-time etc etc and 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 the brain in me could see it happening because I could see this triangle of people at this c-suite level and the two people that had to stay and essentially the one that was optional um, because the reality was the work that I was doing, there are a whole heap of people that can market brands, whereas one of the other roles has got, uh, had limited uh, people who could do what she could do um, globally. So, you know, the smart head in me goes, why aren't we just talking about this? Because maybe I'd be happy to move on. But instead, it became this just insidious, horrendous situation. And there were moments, Alison, where I would literally go down to the car park and bawl my eyes out. Just, I'd be on the phone to Jason, my husband, bawling my eyes out, or on the phone to the lawyer, bawling my eyes out. And then I had to get myself back together and get back up to, the, to up to the office so that to all intents and purposes the team didn't know what was going on 
um, because it was happening in, in almost behind closed doors um, such that none of the team were really aware of it. And I really, I'm really so, I'm actually really proud of myself that, that I managed to maintain that for the purposes of the teams and the clients. But it was tough because it was that, that piece of playing what had to be played out legally uh, managing emotions like oh I've, if you'd have seen me driving through the Sydney Harbour Tunnel on the way to work some mornings I was like this crazy woman I was like my my men, managing my mental health and my mindset was the biggest challenge I'd have the equivalent of Tony Robbins on the CD in the car blaring out I had my affirmations written on my mirror so it was the first thing I saw in the morning I'd be shouting them at myself as I drove into the car park because it's like come on Jane, you can do this you can do this um, and it, it was just tough. It was just really tough. And yeah, at the same time going, this is not how I believe we should lead or what humanity is in the business. But I had to play, play it out because that's what really was required in corporate. And, um, and then you have to deal with the recovery phase of when you leave because, uh, you know, it's how you manage uh, your positioning in the marketplace, how you manage the communication, how you manage your own mindset when you're at home doing something. Um, it was it was a massive, massive challenge. But, but for me, when I left, I made this decision. And the decision was, I am going to do business assuming that everybody is actually trying to do the right thing. Because what, what for about a year... It had, as I talk about in the book, I, I was constantly watching my back. There were games being played. There was stuff that I was being said or done that was turned. Uh, the lie—I mean, it's just awful. And I went, I can, I could take this on, and this could become me. And I refused to let that happen. And so, essentially, again, it's looking back. You go, thank God that happened because it reaffirmed for me the sort of person I want to be. Um, and the sort of person I want to become. And I made this decision that I would always do business. Um, and connect with people based on the assumption that most people are trying to do the best thing. And I've been challenged on that too, where somebody said, but, but you're going to get screwed if you don't do, you know, sign this or do that. I said, you know what? Yeah. And it has happened over the last 10 years. But I go, I would rather live my life based on 95% of people I come across being awesome than 5% that I'm worrying about. And that's pretty much what I've what I've done. And over the last 10 years, that's as I've built and sold a business, as I've built my practice, as I've traveled the world doing the same things that you do, Alison. Um, just having that intentional way of connecting with people has enabled, has opened up so many doors, has created so many opportunities, but it's been challenged and it's constantly challenged. But it's this constant work I'm doing on myself. I think I'm just a lifelong learner. I'm just constantly looking in on myself, you know, how can I become better? How can I become better? <laughs> and that's a thread that weaves through your work, through your messaging, mm. through um, what you share and, and certainly through your writing. It's fascinating. It's almost like what's coming to mind for me is that it is a choice uh, mm. and, yes, we can choose to um, be on guard or we can choose to go, yeah, I might be opening myself up but also what am I losing if I, you know, we were to kind of shut ourselves down. So that sense that people are doing good uh, mm. and have the best of intent is something that is a bit of a thread of your new book. 
Uh, it's almost a little bit in the title of the book uh, yeah. where your title is – it's called Be Brilliant and mm. it's, a, it's a bit of a call to arms, the belief that people can be brilliant, uh, that they have it within them. How do you get challenged in that, even that sense or that belief that people do have a brilliance in them? I think so, – so where it – I mean, if I take the journey back to three years ago when I started my podcast, there was there's always been this insatiable curiosity around what is the difference? Yeah, what is the difference between people that achieve whatever success is, you know, the best athletes, the people that are – changing the world, the people that are building incredible businesses like yourself, the people that are leading multinationals and they've got people following them and willing to, what is the difference? And I've always had this incredible curiosity. And for me, it does, does boil down to this, this power of connection. I think it's, it's so important and it's more than just a transfer of information backwards and forwards. It's this deep, insane transfer of humanity, I think is the tipping point. And when I look at my my journey, you know, it started with uh, all the work around collaboration and from me to we, which is a natural segue from corporate into own business. And then through that work, I got curious about actually, you know, we can work together, but still, but still you're on your own and, and we need to have people around you. And that's, and then I, you know, I'd started up the community, um, the networking community and, and, and I, and the next piece of work, which was the book, It's Who You Know, was really about going, we need people around us. We cannot be successful on our own. You need an inner circle that can see more in you than you see in yourself. It's going to push you further, et cetera, et cetera. And I've obviously been teaching that and speaking about that for a number of years. And on the back of that, I started getting curious and I'm going, but still something's missing. Why does it work for some people and not others? What, and, if, you know, people have challenged me, how do you do this, Janine? How do you remember people that you knew 15 years ago? And how do, how do you do this? How do you connect so deeply? And, um, and that's when I started getting curious again. And I went, I'm going to set up a podcast, Unleashing Brilliance, and bring people on it because I'm really curious about what was the tipping point for them. And there became these gradual, these, these same threads running through irrespective of size of business, irrespective of area of expertise, irrespective of whether you are a global leader or a small business, incredibly successful entrepreneur, an athlete, whatever it was, there were these same threads that kept coming through. And so again, I explored and researched and asked more. And then I started actually trying to map it out against my own life. And that's really where the book came from because the reality is, even pre what we're currently experiencing with COVID, you know, there were so many people acquiring stuff and yet still unhappy. Acquiring skills, like this obsession with personal development and getting online and learning more skills and yet still not believing in themselves or still feeling like imposters. And then that, that further obsession with connecting and, and building database and finding people on LinkedIn and building profile on, on LinkedIn, on uh, Instagram, and yet feeling really disconnected. And I'm going, there's, there's something missing. And yet we need to sort of reverse all that because 
we're living, we're living in crazy, crazy times. We're living in times where the questions are many and the answers are few, where we're all trying to navigate. We're all actually going, shit, where do I sit in this? How am I going to build my business? How am I going to get to X? How am I going to still be happy and have enough money to feed my family, et cetera, et cetera? And I just went, you know what? The only thing that we have control over, the only thing that is ever constant is you. Who you are, who you are being, i.e. The, the impact you're having on the person next to you, the left or right, up above and below. That's the only thing you can ever control in the moment. And the only thing you can control is who you want to become. Nobody else can control that for you because the only way they control it is when we give it away. Like you said, it's a choice. We put other people in control. I say to people, the companies own your job. You own your career. They don't own your career. You own your job. And so this is where this book came from of going, actually, we've all got, we've got everything we need. You, you cannot connect or collaborate in the right way if you're not actually connected with yourself. Because you are always going to bring a portion of yourself to conversation, to networking, to collaboration, to discussions, to ideation, if you're hiding bits of yourself. And I'm going, you know what, we've got to stop it because the world needs us to be extraordinary right now. The world needs us to have opinion, to have a voice. It needs diversity. It needs thinking. It needs experience. It needs the different approaches that every single one of us have to actually navigate this world that we've never been in before as businesses, as cultures, as societies. We've never, ever been here before. So there are no rules. But what we have is ourselves and our opinions. And if we are constantly beating ourselves up about what we don't have, if we're constantly worrying about our imperfection, then we're becoming very selfish and eye-focused and we're not bringing what it is to our work, to our teams, to our businesses, to our families and to our friends. And so that's where this, this book came from, where I went, you know what, everything that got you here is actually going to propel you to the future. And I'm not, I'm not um, minimizing some people who have had bigger challenges than me at all. But I'm going, again, you have a choice. I'm going to use it to power you up, to have that voice, to change you. And I know so many awesome individuals that have done just this. I'm going, come on, we need more of it. You know, we need people in organizations to, to speak up and to innovate and to challenge the rules. We need families to challenge society norm about what it means to be a family, to be a mum, to be a dad. You know, right now, we are being challenged from a society perspective and what are the rules in society? And I go, yeah, we need all that. And we've been quiet for too long. So this book absolutely is, is almost a bit of a call to ask to go, you have everything you need. And I've written it intentionally of going, using all those stories because these four, those four laws that I write about in the book came out through everybody I spoke to. So I'm using those stories um, I've written it as if I'm talking to people, um, you know, I'm, I'm no Brené Brown with the PhD or yourself, the PhD in psychology, but this is my life. This is my experience. This is what I am seeing. And, and really it is, um, giving people to me permission to become better. If you want to be better, then actually it starts with you taking ownership of yourself 
and making sure you're bringing energetically the best of yourself to what you do before you go and connect with others and before you start leading. Um, and I do, th I do think that if people, I see it in my work, you know, it's exactly the work that I do in organizations or when I'm speaking and I've seen the journey that people take and I've had the feedback and I've got the, the letters where people have gone, oh my gosh, you unlocked something in me that I'd forgotten about. You've, you've, you created this monster in me that is doing X, Y, and Z and look at what I've managed to achieve. And I go, yeah. I love that. Brilliant. The monster, the monster That's creator, Janine Garner. <laughs> Watch out. You will be guaranteed to unlock something when you when you read this book. This sense that um, the the call to arms, and I know this has been your kind of work and obsession and looking into for a number of years, as you said, kind of three years, and yet the timing is Phenomenal. I'm not sure if you planned COVID or not. No, but I didn't plan it. <laughs> Trust me, a few <laughs> months ago I was in the shower in tears going, oh, my God, the timing could not have been worse. Or it could the be brilliant. <laughs> because I think, like, uh, you know, collectively everything has been shaken up. There is this absolute recalibration. And as you say, what mattered to us six months ago, we've now been confronted with, Oh, maybe that didn't matter so much or maybe there's something else or, you know, the thing that's frustrated me, I think we're, we are being asked to speak up about it. Um, the challenge that you've put is that brilliance starts with us. That is also incredibly confronting because I then have to take the blame um, or, you know, it's not like I can blame it on my parents or my upbringing or that I mm -hmm. didn't go to uni or that I don't have the opportunities or look at them. If it starts here, you talk about some of those barriers around fatigue and in particular you, you talk about three fatigue areas yeah. in that starting with you, exhaustion, fatigue, stretch fatigue and choice fatigue. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was seeing this so much because the book, as, you've, as you know, because you've written some awesome books yourselves, it, it's not something you do in two weeks. So, you know, this manuscript was submitted, you know, towards the end of last year to go into the whole publishing life cycle. So pre-COVID, pre, pre this incredible period of uh, uncertainty and essentially ac acute emergency of reaction and now we're into this reimagined recovery phase, I, I was just seeing exhaustion everywhere and these three types of exhaustion I've actually said to many CEOs your, your company is dying from the inside it's 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 just dying like people are we're at risk of becoming the robots of life um, versus these humans of extraordinary potential and the robots of life are struggling with exhaustion. So you're exhausted with being exhausted, essentially. You're just like, I'm so busy. I'm so tired. Um, and it's like this constant uh, need to keep going is exhausting people. So we're exhausted with being exhausted, with having so much on, with trying to get through our to-do list, with literally going, there's no such thing as nine to five anymore. It's literally, you're lucky if you manage to have a bit of life before the kids, you know, get to school, you start work and you finish your end of the day. And I reckon most people's days have just got longer and longer and longer in our, in our pressure of getting enough sleep, trying to eat well, keep fit, keep healthy, read to the kids, bath them, go to work, do everything. It's just crazy. The second exhaustion, which is that stretch one, 
is, you know, I like to think of it like Elastigirl in um, The Incredibles, like that feeling of, oh, my God, can I be stretched anymore? Because you are being stretched in multiple directions in terms of the roles that you are playing, uh, the demands on your time, um, and, and just you having to navigate this, this incredible demand on you that, that people are losing track of themselves because they're being stretched in multiple directions. And then that final fatigue is the choice one, which again, I hear so much of, okay, what do I do first? Do I do this? Do I do that? Do I do, I do this course? Do I study that? Should I take my business here or there? Do I have my soy latte or do I have my cappuccino? Should I do this diet or that diet? Oh my God, do I now do Pilates? Do I run? Do I do effort? It's like this choice of people are going, ah, uh, which is feeding the comparison. And then when they make the choice, they're doubting themselves. Oh, God, did I make the right choice? Well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Who did I listen to? I should have stood <laughs> in the other line at the supermarket. I got the wrong line. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you got this, 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 fatigue, this fatigue kicking in, which stops brilliance. And then the other one to overlay, um, which, which I talk about uh, too, is, is blame. So you've got the, the exhaustion piece. Uh, which stops brilliance because it just keeps you stuck. You can't think. It's just like just going through the motions like robots or the blame triangle kicks in. And I reckon there's three parts of blame. You deflect. So uh, it's somebody else's fault as to your lack of progress. You detract. So it's something else's fault. Economy, COVID, cart travel, budgets cut, blah, blah, blah. Something else's fault or you become the defeatist, um, it's your fault. You're not good enough. You don't have the skills. You haven't got the wherewithal. You haven't got the time. And those two things, um, the exhaustion and the blame, stop us from stepping up into brilliance. And my challenge to people is you have a choice. Um, and the choice is how you manage these. And the choice starts with owning What's at play for you? Because until you take ownership of who you are and who you're being, um, the connections that you're building, the contribution that you're making, and therefore the impact or the legacy that you want to leave, until you take ownership of all that stuff, you're never going to take the right action to create the right momentum to keep moving forward. Um, so to me... That's, want, that's what it's all about. I want to ask about the four laws of brilliance. So obviously yeah. through the conversations you've had and you connect with some of the best uh, thought leaders, experts in their field, leaders in corporate world globally um, and have unpacked these four laws. What have you, what have you discovered and, and where might people start in their, their laws of brilliance? Yeah, so... As much as I've written about the four laws in the book and there's a there's a model in there that brings them all together, the reality is brilliance is a practice. Um, you becoming better doesn't isn't a finite game. It's not a start and an end. It's this continuous practice of checking in, of gaining perspective, of getting awareness around what the next piece of work is. And it is a continuous journey. It's actually, I think it's a lifelong journey. Oh, come on. Um, Can't we get to it by October? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you can get better. You can get better nice. each time. Yeah. So the four laws essentially um, starts with you first. So the first one is all about you. 
and essentially it's about owning your spotlight. It's about getting clear on who you are, um, what it is that you want to achieve, and owning the brilliance, the expertise that you're bringing into into your work. Um, and yeah, there's so many stories I could I could share around this. That the one that just always springs to mind is uh, Paul Zara. He um, was most formerly the CEO of David Jones. He's now, I think, runs the Australian Retail Association. But he started at David Jones 15 years before he became CEO, and he started in the warehouse. And he talks about being a country boy and uh, talks about, similar to my story, striving, proving, striving, proving, um, and gradually working his way up. Um, he's now a, a passionate advocate for DNI. Um, he was one of the first CEOs to march at Gay Pride here in Sydney. And he said to me, he said, when we ask people to fit in, we're actually stopping their brilliance. Because fitting in means you've got to let something, you've got to stop being something that, you're, that you are. You've got to conform. You've got to smooth off those edges, um, the things that are different about you. And he said, and I did that for years. I try to fit into what the sales guy should be like, what the retailer should be like, what the male leader should be like. And I said, the moment I stepped into my own spotlight, the moment I owned who I was as a gay guy uh, from country, who's had this amount of experience from, from warehouse up, and the more I stopped faking it till I made it, and just stepped into my spotlight, the easier it was for me to take the next step and the next step. Because suddenly I wasn't worrying about myself. Suddenly I was just bringing me to my work and crazily my career just took off. And, and the essence of that story of essentially law one of stepping into your spotlight was just reinforced um, across people, you know, people from different industries, from different areas of expertise, from leaders. This moment of, you gave me permission to swear, and it is the afternoon, but is this the, this moment of, fuck it. <laughs> this is me, and I'm just going to stop worrying about my imperfections, my limitations, and I'm just going to be the best version of myself at every single opportunity. The moment they did that, this, this incredible uh, acceleration happened in terms of their work. Um, so that is the essence of law one. And I think, you, you, I think and, you know, when we look at leadership, when we look at being a parent, when we look at leading a community or a tribe or whatever it is, the more aligned and congruent you are with your message, the more people connect. And so we've got this innate BS detector we can see it. We can smell it in other people. And we don't connect if we're not connected with ourselves. And so some of the stuff I talk about in the book is, you know, the voices in our heads and, uh, you know, having a bit of a joke around, maybe name them. There's a fabulous lady in, in the UK, Sherilyn Shackles. She's the founder and CEO of an incredible marketing company. And uh, we started talking about voices in our heads. And she just went, oh, Janine, I cannot stand Mildred. <laughs> I just went, sorry, what are you talking about, Mildred? And she went, oh, yeah, yeah, I've called the voices in my head. My, my voices are an orangutan called Mildred. 
orangutan. I love that. And she literally <laughs> said, she said, I, before I get on stage, yep. Mildred appears. It's like this orangutan appears from nowhere telling me, don't go up on stage. People are going to laugh at you. Who's going to be interested in you? Why should you have something to say about that? Oh, my God, who do you think you are? And she said, and she's there shouting at me, and I have to go, stop it, Mildred, I'm fine. <laughs> it's this concept so of yeah, how many of us listen to the equivalent of the Mildred, and that stops us from doing what we should do. So that's law one. I then go, you know, you can own your spotlight and you can have your dreams. And I'm, I'm sure you've come across these in terms of your career and your business, these people that have these big visions and their big dreams. But you know what? They're unable to get there because they just exhaust themselves in the process. Now, you cannot FedEx your brain or your body back. You can't go, I've had enough now. Can I trade it in and get a better deal? Thank you very much. You can't do that. And I go, how are you supposed to do your best work if you're not functioning at your best? And part of ownership, part of being brilliant is you've got to look after yourself. You've got to look after your mindset. And this is, I know this is your passion piece, your mindset, your stamina, uh, the behaviors, um, the, the habits that you're putting in in place to make sure that you are bringing your best self to every opportunity that you can. And, you know, I, I see this so much in the work that I do in organizations where, you know, there are leaders and individuals having a certain message out in the workplace. And then you look at their life and you go, seriously, um, how can you expect to be teaching others if that's how you are? And, and for me, the, the biggest wake up call on this, I was five years uh, this was, my daughter was five, so she's now 14. And I was working corporately still. I was working full time. I had three children under five. Uh, Jason, my husband, was also working full time. And we would, you know, anyone was, if one was sick, we'd wake up in the morning and it'd be like, check the phone, lying in bed. Okay, who's got the most on? Right, you can have the day off today. And God help us if sickness passed from one to the other to the other. And I, it, it, life was manic. It was crazy. But I remember coming home one day and uh, we'd read all those parenting books about what you should do to connect with your kids, one of which was put your phone down and have family dinner. So we had, you know, Flynn at seven years old, sat at the table, Taya at five and then a three-year-old and uh, having the conversation. So how was your day today? What are you grateful for? <laughs> all those questions. And Taya piped up and she went, mommy. Why are you so busy? And I went, oh, you know, I've studied really hard and I got the degree and I've worked my way up the career ladder and I'm earning money so we can go on holiday and buy your toys and live here. I did all that rubbish. And then she looked at me and she actually said, but mommy, why are you so unhappy? Oh, oh my God, Alison, it was like, oh, like yeah. out of the mouths of babes and I, I can still I, like even now it makes me want to cry because I still remember that moment and it was my biggest wake-up call because all she was seeing was her mum being knackered her mum always being on the phone her mum working late at night her mum falling asleep on the sofa her mum getting grotty you know her mum not being able to focus on watching whatever movie once again and again and again and trying in the background to do stuff and then I was going what message am I sending to my boys and I'm going if my driver is about 
you know, at the time, the drive there was about getting women to step up. It was all about, come on, we need you. If that's my driver, what message am I sending? And this essentially is, is, is the essence of that law too, of harnessing your energy, that if you want to change anything, you've got to change yourself first. If you want to inspire other people, if you want to teach people to manage work better, the biggest people that are watching you are your kids. Your children are watching you. And if you don't have children, your grandchildren or your friends' children, everyone is watching you. And we are sending out so many signals right now that are totally incongruent with what we're saying. And hopefully this period of time that we're living in is getting people to rethink that. But we've got to take ownership of this. We cannot blame work for a lack of time. We cannot blame leaders for our jam-packed calendar. We cannot blame the busyness of our social lives for our lack of time to look after ourselves physically or mentally. It's your own fault. I go, busy is an excuse. Yeah, we Busy need is to... an excuse and leadership is not about being busy. Leadership is about leading yourself and bringing the best of yourself to your life, your work, your dreams, your passion. And so that essentially is law too. Oh, and I yeah. think it's such a critical message because there can be in this kind of hustle and drive and I'll do it all is that I've got to add more to the plate. But what you're almost inviting people is that they've got to look after themselves yeah. first and... And I agree, I think we are role models that people are almost seeing um, and watching and saying, I'm not prepared to pay that price. And I've seen it for senior women and I know you do a lot of work in this space, um, but senior level executive women who are working 16-hour days, who are not seeing their kids, who aren't happy and the women that sit behind them in the corporate world going, I don't want it, like if that's what it's going to be. If that's yeah. what's required in order to get through yeah. the glass ceiling or whatever it is, yeah. it, I'm not signing up for it. No. And I've had grown men crying at me when I talk to them about this too. Um, grown men who are going, there's, there's, there's got to be more. There's got to be a better way. You know, I'm not seeing my wife. I don't get to see my kids. And yet I've got to keep going to earn the cash. Um and, and this is where I go, that there's got to be a rethink because the reality is the future, our future needs the next generation to change it. And if they're looking at ours and giving up, what, what message are we sending? So, and I think this is where our, our, our challenge as a generation is a really interesting one and overlay race and gender into this conversation. But you know, if you look at it, we've got a, an old, a traditional way of leading the majority of big businesses. Um, and those people got there based on a certain way of living and leading and operating, and they've been rewarded for it. You've then got this younger generation, which just I'm so inspired by their energy, who are going, okay, what? What's next? Really questioning all that sort of stuff. And our generation, I'm putting you in the same bucket as me now, Alison, is stuck right in the middle. And this is why it's really important that we step up because we have to be the inspiration for the younger generation to keep going, to speak up, to change, to innovate, to be creative, to challenge the norm. Like It's our job to inspire them, to create the space 
that they can step into. And at the same time, we've got to have the courage and the strength and the tenacity to be able to push back and against this this upper, upper level. And I do believe this is where that if we can model it, we're going to gradually show it through. And I've, I've done it. I've done it in the organisations I work in, many of which I've never had experience of. I mean, I'm a retail marketeer, predominantly in fashion background, and the majority of my work is in IT, software, property, banking, telcos. I have no idea what they're talking about. But I challenge them on this. And I think because you, what you see is what you get. Whoever I speak to, this is me. I will openly share the highs and lows, the, the times where my kids give me the shits and I really would happily trade them in. And, and I think it's, it's that that we've got to share to show it's okay to be like this. And, and this is where I go. You can't go on a leadership training program if you're doubting your own inability and if you're absolutely knackered. How can you learn how to lead better if you're not leading yourself and how can you how can you possibly connect deeply with people if you're worrying about yourself and so to me this is why law 1 and 2 are absolutely the starting point and then the law 3 uh, pulls on a lot of the uh, ip that i'm known for in terms of connecting with intent so i go you know you can't achieve anything on your own it's absolutely impossible and even more so now in this incredibly complex, challenging, highly adaptive world where there are no answers, where we have not tested anything before to live or lead or operate in this world that we're in. And it's going to require a significant amount of experiment, of failure, of willingness to collaborate and connect and share ideas. And you can't do that properly unless you can bring yourself fully, not faking it, not hiding anything, unless you can bring yourself fully into that. And my my life has pretty much been a living, breathing, connecting with intent. Um, and, and the classic example is what I've done with this book. Um, you know, I was challenged on it, Alison. I Somebody actually said to me, Janine, you need to do your IP because I was having a whinge about how on earth do I market a book in this current climate? And he said to me, well, you've got a network. Ask them for help. And I went, what? Yeah, it's like, yeah, well, it's like the builder that doesn't finish their own house, right? It's, <laughs> I went, what? Who's going to help me? Really? And he went, you talk about this stuff. You talk about value exchange. Go for it. And, um, and you saw the video I put out, which literally, honestly, I was sat there. I had my equivalent of Mildred on my shoulder going, who the hell are you to post this? People are going to laugh at you. You're going to do it. And I just went, ah, fuck it, pressed it. Do you want to share and what you res- did for the those who haven't was seen like it? phenomenal. Yeah, do you want I to share what you've done? I had three days where I couldn't do any other work apart from answering emails and there's still emails I haven't. And that then became a Zoom call with um, literally half, half of them, I think I've got about 170 people now around the world across four continents. People, I reckon 25% of these people, 30%, I have no idea who they are, but they came together on a Zoom call. Uh, you know, we had Canada and America. Somebody got up at 4 a.m. in London to join the call. South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Germany. It's like, oh, my God, I cried. I did cry. Um, who are all just going, okay, what do you need us to do? 
And it's this living, breathing experiment into the power of connection and the power of collaborating. When you have one, when you've got work at the center, you know what needs to be done and you give people the freedom to be themselves in the process. So it's still an experiment. Who knows, Alison? Ask me in a month's time what happens here, but it's, it's just incredible. And I set up a, a WhatsApp group this weekend and I'm already, because I, I instantly join dots of who needs to know each other. And, uh, you know, already collaborations are forming within here. Uh, you know, we've got people in Sydney supporting somebody in South Africa already. And this is outside of the work at hand. So it's it's really exciting. And, I, love, and I love that you're living it, living the example of it. And, um, and I mean, you can't help but collaborate. <laughs> it's almost, it's in your DNA. I can see it. Um, but for those listening, what, you know, one of the things Janine did was going, hey, I'm launching a book, but all the traditional methods of marketing are gone because and and big part of books and and new book sales um people may not be aware of is uh airport bookshops and with airports closed or domestic travel being significantly impacted here in australia that avenue just goes and so what janine did was put together a video to her audience and said i need your help um, and that response that you've just talked about is is incredible so i love you kind of living the brand living the message in the moment of the power of that network and I know that you wouldn't have had those people except that you've invested in them mm. along the way. That doesn't just happen because you put something up. Uh, that happens because you it's a lifelong uh, investment into network and, and collaboration yeah. um, and doing things together. If people aren't graded at where would they start? <sighs> Well, you gotta you gotta get and get yourself a copy of it too, you know, for a start. Because essentially, it is surround yourself with a core group of critical people first. Um, everyone I speak to, interview, and I know you'll be the same as well, Darren. There'll there'll be a small group of people around them that will that they know believe in them, that understand what their vision is, that hold them accountable that want to share to teach them so that they stand out and become more and that ultimately will pick them up when they fall and celebrate with them when they achieve. And we all need that. And successful people, brilliant people have that. Um, and it's the first place I start, like, who's helping you? Um, I spoke to Emma Isaacs um, as part of, she was on a podcast and as part of the research for this book. And, you know, she's spoken openly about, about the challenges of taking the Business Chicks brand to the US. And, you know, she shares the only, the only way I got through this was my inner circle. It was, it was those critical people that don't become, uh, that don't fuel the drama. Yeah, there's some people around us that love drama. They live and breathe it and they fuel it. And you're not moving anywhere. It's just like this ever-growing drama. It's not those, it's these people that listen and without judgment help navigate the way out. And we all need it. So, so I always say, don't go to big, cold networking events thinking you're going to find your inner circle because it doesn't happen. You've actually got to be intentional and you've got to go, what help do I need right now and who's going to help me? And intentionally find them, nurture them, cultivate the relationship. And always be about them first and not you. So, you know, my mantra is always, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Who can I connect with you? Who can I connect you with? What do you, what can I give you? Um, it's never about the hustle or the sale. 
It's always about how do I help you become more successful? And I think that 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 way that I approach networking, I've done it my entire career. I can still ring people in the UK that I worked with at the age of 20. And it's because of how I've nurtured that relationship. Um, and it's one of those things where I go, I don't, I, I can't get my head around how other people can't do it. And so it's trying to teach them that. And it's simple things like, you know, when you reach out to somebody, don't just go, can I have a cup of coffee? Can I pick your brains? No, you can't. I say, have some respect. The the thing that everyone is short of now is time. So why do you want to connect with them? Put in the time, do the research. And I go, what is the one question? If you had five minutes with that person, what would you ask them? And you have to do that. So ask people, be really specific about what you want to learn from them. And then the other, on the flip side, it's say, if if there's one thing that you can change, say thank you for. People don't say thank you. Or if they do, it's the equivalent of getting your McDonald's at drive-thru. Thanks, moving on. Like, go and be intentional. Thank you for. Like, like, what did you get through that conversation? What did you get as a result of that email feedback? What did you get from reading that post? Like, just slow down and stop being so transactional with people and start connecting as a human being and letting the human being know the impact that they've had on you. Um, and to me, that's how you start building really great relationships that last a lifetime. And then they have this wonderful, they're so organic. So they have this wonderful ability to multiply, 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 multiply. So that's uh, where I'd start. I think um, um, relationships are when both parties feel like they're getting the best part of the deal. It's uh, That's where yeah. it can, can work really well. So we've got yeah. the law of be you, the law yeah. of be right, be ready. Be ready. Um, so how do you actually have your energy ready, your state ready, be together? So who are the people that are going to come with you? And the fourth law. The fourth law is all about being heard. So step into that spotlight and share. I don't hoard your thoughts but lead the market, the industry, the business and consistently be that leader that you want to be. Um, so this really does come down to the impact that you're making in terms of your interactions with people, um, how you constantly lead from a place of love and courage and acceptance versus judgment, um, getting curious about where other people are maintaining perspective and understanding fundamentally that your job as a leader is to ultimately create followership of a group of people towards a destination. But that doesn't happen A to B. You know, your job as a leader is to meet people where they're at and to meet people where they're at so you can help move them forward requires you to gain perspective. It requires you to get curious. It requires you to be interested in who they are. And I think this is going to be part of the challenges we navigate through this, Alison, because, you know, people are going to be in such a hurry to move forward to implement plan A, plan B, plan C. The reality is every every individual is experiencing different forms of loss at different times. And leaders need to be able to have the perspective and the wherewithal to talk to people's losses and to understand those losses. You know, it's that incredible work of uh, Ron Heifetz. I'm sure you've studied his work. I um, had the 
lovely opportunity to study under him at Harvard last year. And he just talks about, you know, this concept of, of leadership is about meeting people where they're at, talking to their losses, and then ensuring the environment is safe to, enough to take them forward. Um, and, and that takes time. That, re, that requires a, a confidence in terms of yourself. Um, being heard is also about sharing your stuff. Like, stop hiding. Speak up. Share your ideas. Share your insight. We need to hear you. Um, and, then, and then part of it is if, if you can step up yourself, if, if you are owning your spotlight, if you're harnessing your energy, if you're connecting with intent, if you've accepted your imperfections and your limitations and you've risen above them and you are just being you in this space, then you have a wonderful opportunity to amplify the people around you and to allow them to be the same. So a significant part of being heard is amplifying other people and this continuing learning journey. And as I shared with someone the other day, this is why it's cyclical, because that moment where the tension kicks or from a leadership position, you're not moving far enough and you're like, oh, yeah, what's going on here? They don't get me. I'm not getting my message across. I go, you got to go right back to the beginning. What is it about you that's getting in the way? What, what's stopping this conversation? What's stopping the movement? And, and so it is a, it is a continuous mm. evolution, organic growth piece um, in terms of as you process, progress through those four laws. That ability to have that self-awareness to actually yeah. hold that up um, and have the courage to do that. I mean, we spoke about that right at the start, to have the courage and go, oh, what's my role to yeah. play here? Obviously, this is something that you do personally. You talked before about being a lifelong learner what are the things that um, remind you to come back to you what are the things that give you energy uh, mm-hmm. and where are the places that maybe you need to stretch to be heard um, uh-huh. even more I love those questions so uh, I've I think because I've been a, I've, I've done I have engaged so many coaches and been through so much training um, and the model that I've actually put in my book, I do on myself on a regular basis. Um, so there is some self-assessment tools in that book. And any moment, I feel, I call it the itchy jacket. It's like, oh, something doesn't feel right. And I am, why am I getting annoyed at people? Why am I feeling like things just aren't moving quick enough? Why am I, my, why is my head hurting? Now, as soon as I can, I can now recognize when something's out of kilter, and what I do then is I stop and I absolutely stop and I look at that model and I can very quickly identify which one I need to work on. Um, so an interesting one during when COVID first hit, um, you know, one of the things I talk about in the lead section is we've all got hungers that drive us um, and those hungers are either power, a sense of needing control, a sense of being smart or the smartest in the room or having the answers or a sense of a need for intimacy, a need to be liked. And every single one of us has one of those as our primary. And I was starting to get really anxious um, at the start of COVID. And, you know, one morning I remember being in the shower, crying my eyes out, more about the sadness of the world and just everything getting out of control. And I went, oh, my God, I know what my problem is. I've lost control. Like my key driver absolutely is power from the point of view of 
being able to plan stuff out, knowing what's happening next, having my sales funnel sorted, all my holidays planned for a year. Uh, you know, it's all go planned. On, go on, go it's all on, organized. On, on. And suddenly <laughs> it all fell apart. And that was making me really anxious. And it was only when I recognized that and I went, I know what it is. I've lost control. This is why I'm feeling anxious. And so what I was doing, it was I was trying to fix stuff and I was running around like this blue ass fly doing all this stuff. And what I had to do is get back in control and go, what is the stuff I can control? Which actually was little stuff. Exercise, <laughs> meditation, making sure the food was on the table, making sure the kids were all right social posting connecting in with clients it's like actually creating a new plan and redid the plan of our business and all of that sort of stuff and then suddenly I felt better so so for me it is about uh taking that time on a very regular basis to just assess myself am I doing what I want to do am I behaving in the way I want to behave uh does everything feel aligned oh is there something I should be doing more? In terms of where I get my energy, I'm a, I am get my energy at home. Um, I get my energy hanging around with my kids. Um, it's just being at the ocean with them. And it's, it's a really interesting life stage for me right now because I've got an almost 17-year-old with a girlfriend, a 14-year-old with a boyfriend, and then a 12-year-old um, that absolutely is struggling quite a lot with anxiety right now. But this little unit of five that has been together for so long, suddenly they're, they're I, I sort of visualize them as those dogs on leads that are stretching out and I keep trying to press the button to get them back. It's like, come back, hang with mom. And yeah, I know I've got to let them go. Um, and so it's this really interesting life stage for me of, of being a mom, knowing you have to let them go, hoping that you've taught them enough to keep them safe. And trusting that they'll come back and want to hang with you. I can't control any of that any, anymore because they're teenagers. Um, but those moments when we're all together, it was like my favorite times ever. And so in you know, COVID, it was playing the games. It's, it's going to a farm for a few days. It's just those moments of hanging out. That's all I need. I really, that's all I need. And exercise. Exercise is my, my energy drug, to be honest. And then in terms of being stretched and heard, um, you know, this is where I, I need the people around me. It's like the challenge to call out for the cheer squad. So I absolutely um, have it been really intentional about constantly evolving the people that I'm learning from. Um, I've learned that I love learning um, I love reading. I love being challenged. I love wanting to play that bigger game and explore how to do it and a preparedness to move on, to allow the space to those new teachers to come in. So for me, you know, I will um, invest in last year. I went to Harvard. Um, I'll absolutely go overseas when we can travel again to do another course. And that was life changing for me, Alison, in a room. Uh, we had 60 people from 22 different countries, all doing incredible things. You know, there's this one lady that's uh, her whole work is trying to uh, eradicate the uh, Ebola crisis uh, virus in Africa. Uh, I had somebody in my mini group whose job was negotiating between two warring countries 
about how to remove mines from the middle. I had somebody who was part of Obama's advisory, and then there's little on me that's written a book. So it was <laughs> it was such a oh my god, this is insane. And but I've thrived, like just thrived. It's it's getting my brain constantly challenged. It's hearing new thinking. Um, I love having my existing thinking challenged. I've realized that I'm hungry for that. I'm, and, and when I look back, it's interesting when you when you span back through your life, you go, I've always been like that. I just never realized I was. Um, so yeah, it's this, it's this need not to attach and this absolute mm-hmm. desire to surrender and keep growing and, that and helps me stretch. It sounds like that absorbing what else is out there. And, yeah. and there's, there's, I'm ex- I exhaust myself. Though. My yeah. poor husband, he goes, oh, God, seriously? Yeah, another thing? Just pipe what down are you thinking about now? <laughs> He's probably cheering that the uh, yeah, international yeah. borders are shut just for a little while. Oh, to, it's, uh, I'm so lucky place. I've got him. Seriously, I think uh, I, I have, I've, I'm literally like this, in my head. Um, yeah, exciting. And I love that, you know, describing that life, um, life changing experience at Harvard. One of the things that comes to mind for me is the, you know, almost the picture of you on the tractor in the poultry farm and, and, you know, probably picturing this world that is out there and so much more to experience in that. I'm actually. Oh God, I hadn't even, you've literally just given me goosebumps because I went, wow, I can still, yeah, wow. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's a real gift from today. Thank you. So I'm going to ask you a question, my second last question too, and I want to ask you the first line of your book actually, which is how do you feel about the future? I'm quite excited, Alison. um, I'm definitely not one of these that's, you know, there's quite a few memes going around about we should write off 2020. I wish 2020 hadn't happened. I don't feel like that. I'm really excited. I I think this year is one of massive, as hard as it is, I, I know it's hard for it's hard for you and I, it's hard for so many people, and let's be honest, it's so much harder for so many other people outside of Australia. But I do think, and I look at what's going on, I look at what's going on in terms of people's attitude to, works, to work, to family, uh, the whole race um conversation that's going on governments I'm, I'm quite excited about where it's going to evolve and I'm not I'm not hanging on to where it's going I'm surrendering to the curiosity about where it's going and I equally I'm, I'm so excited about the next generation I, I just love the way they speak up the way they challenge again don't get me wrong the conversations around our dinner table do me do my head in sometimes because it's like you know but it's I love it I love the challenge so I'm really excited about it and I just want to make sure I'm part of it yeah there's going to be some big um recalibrations Mm. uh some reckoning happening in a few areas and um I think it can only be for good as we we mm. try to navigate what we step into be brilliant is a fantastic book and I think even at this even at this time, it's the opportunity, the invitation to actually hold that mirror up for ourselves and it is such a gift um, and I'm excited where it will go around the world and that messaging. I want to wrap with the final question. The podcast is called Standout Life. What does it mean to you to live a standout life? For me, living a standout life is having the bravery and the courage 
to have all of your unconscious biases rechecked, relearned, recalibrated, to have the bravery and the courage to be yourself and not have to hide anything and to have the bravery and courage to know that you absolutely are here on this planet to do something. And it's that bravery and the courage to listen because the message is in you. You know it to be true. And, um, and therefore the bravery and courage to step forward and just give it a go. And just to know that there is never any going backwards if you are brave enough and courageous enough to stand out and live the life that you want to live. Thank you for having the courage to be you, Janine. It's been such a delight to hang with you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Look forward to catching up soon. Yay, (laughs) face-to-face. Hugs. so good. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to today's amazing episode. These are episodes that I want to continue to bring to the world because I believe everyone has a story to share and that we can learn and grow by diving into these stories. Now, if you have gotten something out of today's episode or any of the episodes from the Standout Life podcast series, then it's highly likely that you know someone else who would get something from these episodes as well. So my ask to you is to please share the series, send someone today a link, subscribe, rate and review. And by doing that, this podcast starts to pop and be seen by others around the world and we can continue to expand the people, the conversations and the insights that we share together. 